Uh, Isaac Petrie, he'll be here next Friday night, and uh, we're going to jump into our Tabernacles Conference. He's a powerful preacher from Texarkana, Texarkana Texas, and uh, we can't wait for that next, next week's Tabernacle Celebration. So that's Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning on uh, Isaac, of course, Friday night, along with Dr. Darius Williams from Talladega, uh, uh, Pastor Talladega, who's the, also the principal of Talladega High School. He's coming with his choir, so we're going to mix his choir and our praise and worship team, and it's going to be a big blowout there. Then Saturday, Chuck Pierce was supposed to be here, but he had to go to Israel. They just had a new grandson, and he's going to be speaking to us from Israel about the birthing of this new season for about five or ten minutes. And then I'm going to be sharing on Saturday night as well about our brand new year we're moving into. And then Sunday morning is going to be a blowout around here as we come prepared to move into Tabernacles with our first fruits giving. Also, uh, a commissioning, if you will, as we believe we're called to step into an apostolic hub. We'll be talking to you about that. And then we're going to have a big celebration that day. We've got food trucks, uh, live band, uh, snow cones, climbing walls, jumpies, uh, it's going to be a big old party, free food. It's going to be amazing around here. We've got uh, a lot of great fun we're going to have. So please schedule that on your calendar, if at all possible, to come out and spend uh, next weekend with us. I know football season's uh, uh, happening and all that, but uh, we'll, we can do a little bit of both. We'll put the game on if necessary and let you go in and out and check it, however it works. We're all good with that. And um, so uh, we're just looking forward to a really, really wonderful time. Uh, next weekend. So touch three or four people and say, I'll see you out here next weekend. Tell them, I'll see you out here next weekend. <laughs> touch somebody else and say, I'm lying about it, but I'm going to really try to make it. Tell them, I'm lying about it. I lied to you, but I'm going to really try. I'm, I promise you, I'm going to try to make it. I promise you, it'll be worth your time. And, uh, and, and we really, really look, uh, look forward to that. And so uh, uh, Jared and Hannah Snyder are back from Peru and going to have another baby. And so... <laughs> Can you welcome them home here all the way from Peru? We're so glad they're here today. They did a great job establishing some wonderful things for the time they spent in Peru. And so we're so uh, grateful to you guys for the seeds you sown and what you established there that will continue on and on and on now as the people follow your teachings and instructions that you've sown into them. So we celebrate you and so glad you're home. Uh, Heather Varvel and her family are here today. Heather, Heather, why don't you come up real quick? Bring your whole crew with you. Let us see everybody. Give Heather and her crew a big hand as they come up. To, uh, <laughs> grab, you a, grab you a mic on the way by, Heather, right there. They left Luke in the storm. He's, he's back in the storm, I think. I brought these men with me, though. That's all. And I just put gum in my mouth, so. Um, we uh, are so happy to be here. It was kind of a happy accident, kind of. We hate being here under these conditions, but our, uh, that Hurricane Florence came our way, and um, they evacuated our county, a mandatory evacuation. So me and the kids and mom headed up here, and Luke said he'd stay with the dogs. And tend to anything that might have happened, and I mostly didn't want to get locked out of the city, you know, trying to find a way back in. But um, if there was power this morning at church, they'd have had church, but there's no power. But um, we have power at home. Not all the city does yet, but um, most of the coast is underwater. But thankfully, our neighborhood is intact, and everything's good, and so Luke's good. And I did I see on uh, social media you preached your first sermon, uh, Skylar, or was or or you been yeah. preaching? Uh -huh. Tell tell us about that. You want to preach this morning a little bit, or? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, it was award ceremony. We have something called Royal Rangers at our church, and we get together every Tuesday night and uh, do Bible studies and stuff. And we were doing award ceremony. And we did something special, a presentation, and um, I it, a part of it was me preaching about. Uh, the book of Job mainly, and divine healing and how uh, divine healing isn't free, and Job had to go through some serious stuff to, to see it in the end. Wow. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Drew, you want to say what's happening in your life? Or? You well, guys are tall now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just graduated. Uh, <laughs> Y'all yeah. got the tall spirit. I think I was about this tall by the time I left you, but I just graduated from White Oak High School in our area, and um, 
just knew I, well, I was going to take a couple months to really figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to jump straight into college, and uh, it just so happened, Dad had been preaching about, you know, going into the new season and, and the new, the Jewish calendar starting up, and it was a freak accident. I was surfing at the beach one day, and we came home, and uh, I said, hey, Mimi, I'll go to the office with you tomorrow if you want me. I'll help you uh, finish some listings on a house, and she said, because she's a real estate agent, and she said, uh, yeah, that'd be great, so I went to her office, and you know, we, we finished the listing, lockbox on the door, put the sign in the yard, and went back, and I was, I had actually thought about going to trade school where we were at, and she's like, well, let me call a friend of mine. Let me see uh, what she says about her real estate class when it's coming up. So she calls her, and uh, Brenda is her name. She goes, yeah, class starts at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Bring your money and a backpack, and uh, I have one more seat. So dad's like, I'm going to punch you if uh, I've been preaching about going into the new year, and if, this, if you don't walk in this door, I may punch you. So at 9 o'clock the next morning, I sat in the real estate class, and uh, we got through one class, and she said, uh, you know, it's hurricane season, so we may have to postpone a little bit. So we're postponing right now. Hopefully, we'll be done in November or December, but... Yeah, that, that's about what's going You're on. You're going to be a real estate man. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Come on, Drew. That's <laughs> awesome. Make, make a bunch of money and send me some back here down yeah, to the I'll church. All right, I appreciate that. Hey, before you go, I, reason, I want everybody to see, but I want us to pray for everybody, that, all the storm victims. It's also Bev's hometown that got really hammered, Moorhead City in that part of North Carolina. So can we just take a minute and pray for all those victims and then pray that God would also inspire people to go, jump in and help and be a part of how we can play a part of the restoration. So, Father, we just first of all thank you that, Lord, we believe that prayer worked. We believe that this hurricane lost a lot of its power before it ever came to the coast. And so thank you first of all for that. Lord, we just pray for those that have lost loved ones in this storm, that you would be there with them and comfort them and strengthen them. And Lord, we pray for the relief efforts. We pray for the relief workers, just the, the strength and the power uh, in the days ahead that you had just orchestrated effectively and efficiently so that people could get their power restored and their lives restored and get rebuilt. Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of this, somehow, some way, you will cause something good to come through this. And there'll be some kind of supernatural events where people come closer closer together and grow stronger and, and people become more dependent on you and on faith. Lord, we just trust and believe that you can bring something good even out of this, Lord. And so we just pray for everybody on our East Coast today and we just bless them and pray help for them. And Lord, we just thank you that you're going to do something supernatural even in the midst of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming up. Hey, Drew, put that in there, will you? How many of you here were last week for the party? I've been walking around all week like, I just want to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me show you a quick report. Yes, and I wanted to share with you today what happened to me on Sunday, 9-9-18. I came into the sanctuary that day, and I had been suffering with a sciatic nerve have been giving me lots of problems over the past couple of months. I couldn't roll over in the bed. I couldn't get up hardly. And uh, so Sunday, during the praise and worship, I was jumping around and having the best time worshiping. And uh, when Pastor Kent got up on the stage, he said something about today was 9-9-18. Interesting enough, the Hebraic thought is when you study the uh, medieval anatomy, there's 18 main vertebrae in your, in your body. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they waved palm branches 18 times. They believe the palm branch speaks of the spine. Because they believe all the nervous system flows through the spine that brings health to the body. And he had looked up the number 18 and it meant alignment. And he felt like someone was going to get a healing in their lower back or, or back area or spine. Uh, and my husband looked at me and he said, that's you. And so we just continued on in the service in the celebratory mood. It was just electric in there. And beach balls came out and we had a good time. A lot of balls came to me and I kept hitting them and having a good time. And on the way out of the sanctuary, as I was walking across the connection, I noticed that I didn't have any more back pain. So sometime during that service, the Lord touched me 
and healed me. And if he can do it for me, then he can do it for anyone. And we're going to walk out of places of the past and walk into our future. And I know that I know that I know that there's coming an alignment even in our own spinal columns and in our spirits and in our minds. And we're, uh, we're simply saying we're aligning with heaven's will and heaven's purposes. And we decree and believe that this next year, this next Hebraic year, 5779, is going to be full of the blessing of the Lord. <laughs> nice. If you got back trouble, stand up. We might as well not wait. Somebody just reach over and touch them. Father, we just believe there's an anointing here, even after this testimony today, that has the power to release these folks that are suffering in their vertebrae, in their back, for a divine healing to come now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, even the woman says she had been bent over for 18 years in the year 2018. We believe divine alignment can come now and you can realign their structure and their spinal column. You can heal uh, discs that are broken. You can, you can heal vertebrae that need to be mended. Lord, we just touch them and agree right now. You said lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Lord, we just decree and believe that now a healing flow moves throughout this congregation and touches people's necks, spines, lower backs, hips, Lord, and there just comes a divine alignment and a supernatural flow of God's healing and God's grace on them now. We decree it and we believe it in Jesus' name, and now the Word of God says you shall recover. So we speak a word of recovery to you and say now you begin to mend and recover in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Amen. Come on, let's praise God a minute. I like that. Yes, sir. That blowing of the trumpet you just heard, the shofar, we've been blowing it now, going on almost 35, 36 days. That's taken us out of Elul into Tishri. We celebrated last week the Hebraic New Year. Uh, as, uh, as Drew mentioned powerfully about how we move into the next season with the Lord, 5779. We'll be talking to you about it this next weekend. We looked at this scripture last week, Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are those, the slide please. Blessed are those who know the blast, joyful blast of the trumpet. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your presence. So we realized last week when we hear this sound, and we've been hearing it, it's God's wake-up call. And those who realize what it is and obey God and walk in this season properly, then we walk in the light of God's presence or God's countenance and we're blessed. Touch two people say, you're so blessed. Tell them, you're so blessed. Now, last week was the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Terah. To, now in the next few days, uh, it's, it's, I think it's Wednesday. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Wednesday's the Day of Atonement. And so the Day of Atonement is 10 days from the sound we heard last Sunday. 10 days away is the Day of Atonement. Now, here's what's really interesting. The Feast of Trumpets was the wake-up call. It's the celebration of God's new beginnings, new redemption in our life. Ten days later is the Day of Atonement. That's in the Old Covenant where the priest would atone for the sins of Israel and cover them by placing their sins on a scapegoat, sending it to the wilderness, and dealing with the issues in the sin of Israel, which happened each and every year. Now, we as believers know that that's already happened. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, is the scapegoat of God for us, and He has removed our sins. But that doesn't mean that this is not an important time of year for us to remember what's, what Jesus has done for us, remember the work that was accomplished through the atonement, and make adjustments. Now, here's what I love about this concept. The Lord doesn't tell you to fix everything before you get a new beginning. He gives you a brand new beginning, and then 10 days later gives you an opportunity to make adjustments. 
In the instant, the world system is, well, if you ever get everything fixed, then you can get a new beginning. God says, no, I'll give you a new beginning no matter what kind of mess you got in last year. I'll go ahead and give you a brand new beginning, a fresh start, a clean slate, and then I'll give you a season where you can make some adjustments so you don't get back into where you were. It'd be like taking, it'd be like if you weren't much of a driver and you had lots of accidents and, and the issue, in, instead of taking your car immediately to the body shop, you probably ought to take a driver's course. <laughs> so what God does is he lets us awaken to the fact that we can have a brand new start, start on the day of trumpets and then the next 10 days he lets us evaluate. We're supposed to be right now evaluating how did I get to where I was last year and I don't want to go back there again because I got a brand new start now. And on the Day of Atonement, something happens here between now and Wednesday where God will do something supernatural for us that will literally move us out of cycles of defeat and move us into cycles of God's blessing. So touch three people say, I'm about to break out of a cycle. Tell them I'm about to break out of a cycle. <laughs> psalm 1 is our psalm today. One of the greatest prayer times I've had this year was a season a few months ago where I prayed the book of Psalms. Every day I prayed five Psalms for a month, and it was one of the greatest prayer times I've had with the Lord in a long, long time. They're powerful. They're songs. That's what the Psalms are. They're songs of prayer. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's Israel's greatest hits. That's what the Psalms are. It's Israel's greatest hits. And, and they're songs that are powerful because all of them have to do with life. And they speak to us in our down times, in our up times, in our great times, in our sad times. And they're very powerful, the book of Psalms. And the introductory to Psalms is Psalms 1, and it is very powerful. Here's what it says. Blessed. Somebody say blessed. blessed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. That word blessed means fortunate, happy. It's actually a word that's so powerful that congratulations are in order. It's that kind of life, a blessed life, a happy life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that's not looking for happiness. If you Google, I've, I've, I've got a picture of it. If you Google, what is that Google, um, they call it a Google auto choice. You know, like you type in the first few words and then it answers the rest of them for you. If you go home today and type in how can I, what will happen is on your computer, it, and probably the top, if not the top three, will be be a happy person. The whole world's looking for happiness. They're Googling it, trying to find how can I be happy. And the world offers some happiness. If you believe in the internet news, go to WikiHow. WikiHow tells you eight ways that the world says you can be happy. Number one, be optimistic. So what if your life is a huge mess with no promise that anything will change in the future? We'll ignore the facts and just assume things will get better. Say someone pooped on your front porch. Hey, free fertilizer. How many things in life work like that? <clears throat> Two, follow your gut. Oh, sure, I mean, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. But by all means, do everything that's in your heart. No one who ever followed their heart ended up wrong, Miley Cyrus. Number three, <clears throat> own yourself. Meaning, don't apologize for who you are because you're awesome. But what if you're, in fact, not awesome and have serious flaws that need addressing? Hmm, tough question. We better move on. Number four, make enough money to meet your basic needs. Oh, that's great until you can't or you lose your job. And do you know any unhappy people who make enough money to meet their basic needs? Number five, 
Treat your body like it deserves to be happy because you know cancer only hits unhappy people. Number six, stay close to family and friends unless they're jerks, of course. And what if your family and friends desert you? Well, you should have picked a better family. Number seven, have deep, meaningful conversations unless you're depressed or sad, and that can be a drag. Number eight, smile. That's right. If all else fails, just fake it like everything's okay. That's the best the world has to offer us, according to WikiHow, of how we can find happiness. But God says to us in his word, in the beginning of the Israel's greatest hits, blessed is the man. This is what God has to say about this. Blessed is the man, happy, fortunate, such a state in which congratulations are in order. Extremely blessed, extremely happy is this man or this woman, the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, if you'll notice how God starts out his message to us, first of all, telling us what to avoid. It's interesting, walks, stands, and sits. You can see this is a progression. It's a cycle, if you will. You begin walking in a certain direction, taking a step toward a direction. The next thing you know, if you're not careful, you become committed to that way, and then ultimately you find yourself actually attached to it in your heart. You're sitting in the midst of it. I believe this speaks to us very powerfully and very clearly. First of all, let's, let's cover it on a small level. There is nothing outside of you that's actually ever going to bring you happiness. This is not Kent's uh, instruction or knowledge. This is tens of thousands of years of history that's proven this fact to be true. Things or circumstances never, ever ultimately make you happy. They may temporarily help you or, 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 or assist you, but you can't find happiness in it. Why? Because circumstances always change. One day you got money. One day you got not so much money. One day you got friends. One day your friends betray you. One day you got health. Next day your health fell. There, the circumstances are so temporary, there's no permanent happiness in it. And then trying to find happiness, the pursuit, if happiness is your goal, you definitely are going to be unhappy because the pursuit of happiness will leave you disappointed because you will never find it. But... Let's just use this big old word, sin. Sin, or the world's ways, according to the, what is it, Second John, I think I jotted it down here, or First John 2, says don't love the world or the things of the world like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't buy into that because there's no great end result for it. Don't buy into the world's promise of happiness that things or stuff or circumstances is going to make us happy. And we all do it. So, you know, let's, don't be thinking the guy beside you is a sinner and you're not. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we, we all do it. We all have these thoughts, some on a deep scale and some on a shallow scale of, you know, if I, I have them. I'm the preacher. But I have them. I mean, I was just found myself even this week thinking, man, you know, once, this ch once we get this church paid off, Man, I'm going to be happy. Well, no, the bank's going to be happy because they're, <laughs> they're going to think that we finally paid them off. But if I can't be happy right now, you, if, if I ever got my house paid off, if I ever got out of debt, if I ever married the right person, if I ever lost this 10 pounds, I'd be, if I, well, no, if you can't find happiness right now where you're at, you're not going to find it somewhere in the future. Because happiness doesn't come from that, it comes from within. 
So we see this cycle, if you will. James says it's like this. Sin begins with a desire, and then it grows into a, or with the thought, and then grows into a desire, then ends up in the action, and the wages of sin is death. That's what it means to be ungodly. Walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand in the path of sinners and sit in the seat of the scornful. Let me go on record today. It's been said recently of me in our community, Kent doesn't believe in hell. So let's go on record. I don't believe in the hell that mean-spirited religious people preach. Their hell is they think everybody's going there except them because somehow our sins are so much worse than the sins that they have. Let me go on record. I do not believe in that hell. That hell that a certain group escapes but everybody else goes to because we're not part of that group. And by the way, they're mean as hell, but that's a whole other subject to talk about. Now, I believe in a biblical concept of hell, which I don't have time to share with you today, but I'll be more than happy to share with you in the days ahead. The problem with the religious, mean-spirited concept of hell, this is going to blow your mind, is they don't put enough inference on sin. They think if you just join their group, say their prayer, your sin gets covered and somehow you're not responsible for it. So for me, the fear of the Lord is not that I'm afraid of God and that he's going to send me to hell with eternal consequences. The fear of the Lord for me is my sin is going to kill me if God doesn't help me. My sin is like cancer. It's in me and on me, and unless somebody helps me get rid of it, it will lead me to death. Ezekiel says, the the soul that sins shall surely die. And we put so much inference on what's going to happen eternally, we don't deal with actually what's happened right here, right now, and that people are caught in cycles of sin, and it's leading them to death, disease, and destruction. But thank God we got a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ who can get us out of our sin. We think we can walk an aisle and say a prayer and it's over. That's not true. Yes, we're saved by grace. Absolutely. But sin is serious. It's not flippant like, oh, well, Jesus just forgave me. I'll never forget after I got got saved, really saved, it took me a few times. But once it finally took, and by the way, when do you get saved? When do you actually get saved? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm getting saved over and over and over. I was flying home last night from preaching in Connecticut and got saved again, reading the Bible. You know, God just keeps revealing something in it, and I get saved all over again. He's, he's continually saving me from the sin that I'm entertaining and delivering me and getting me out of cycles of defeat and putting me into cycles of victory. See, that's why if you believe in, you know, once saved, always saved, and I understand the eternal consequence of that, you have no thought of the Hebraic calendar because you don't think you need saved again. You think you got saved 20 years ago when you came to the altar, but the news is, yes, that's when it started, but we're continually needing saved because we're continually being enticed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the pathway of the sinners, and sit in the seat of the scornful. So God has to come and say, wait a minute, you're headed the wrong direction. Let me save you all over again and get you back on the right path. Touch three people say, I'm about to get saved all over again. 
I understand the eternal consequences. Don't, don't misquote me. I understand the eternal consequences. But death and destruction doesn't happen when you die. It starts while you're living. And sin to Jesus is not like an attorney, right or wrong, in or out. To Jesus, sin is simply sick or well. And he just doesn't want us sick. He wants us well. Because he knows if we keep living in the sickness of sin and the pathway of the sinner and the counsel of the ungodly and we'll keep looking to everything outside of God to make us happy we're going to get enticed we're going to wind up on the wrong road and we're going to get in a place a cycle of destruction and lead us to defeat I didn't over I didn't go from walking with God to overdosing that's not how I got there I started by walking in the counsel of the ungodly and then I found myself standing in the pathways of sinners. And then I ultimately found myself sitting in the seat of the scornful that mocked God and didn't want anything to do with God. And then destruction began to take hold of me. And, and so thank God that we don't have to have a summer revival for you to get right. Thank God you don't have to walk in front of all your Christians, brothers and sisters and tell them what a sinful man or woman you are. God just comes wrong every year at the Day of Atonement. He said, if you found yourself on the wrong path, good news is you can replant yourself on the right path and you can move into a new direction. Touch three people say, I'm about to plant myself somewhere else. Look here. So he shifts on us now, verse 2 of the. But the, this man who does not, those first things we talked about, if he does this, if his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, this man or woman shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, least shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's the lifestyle of the godly versus the lifestyle of the ungodly. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's not just the Bible. That's the ways of God. What's the word delight mean? He values it. Values the ways of God. Why? Because I told you earlier, the fear of the Lord for me is not I'm afraid of God. Remember, the, I just need to hit this with you a little bit more. Remember the prodigal son when he came running home? God didn't have to get somebody over in the shed and beat them before he could love him. He just loved him. Because it wasn't God trying to hurt him. His sin had took him to a place that was trying to hurt him. But the daddy was waiting all along for him to come home. So the fear of the Lord is not that I'm afraid of my father. The fear of the Lord is I'm afraid of the sin that took me away from the father. And the father's the only one that's got the power to knock the sin off of me. Because I'm not talking about a legalistic willpower type of sin. I'm talking about getting free and living a life like a tree. How many know you've never seen a tree going? <laughs> a tree, why does he say he who loves values the Lord's ways? Let me, let me go back there a minute. What does that mean to value the Lord's way? Value the Lord's way. I just think it means something like this. Your best friends should probably be friends that are part of this church. I'm not saying not hanging out with other people. I'm just saying the value. I'm not one of those legalistic preachers that think you've got to come to church every Sunday. But if you value it. 
See, I don't know about you, but when I got saved and God got me free of what I was in and I got my sin knocked off of me, I was so afraid that I didn't want to go back because it says that by, the, by atonement, what we're talking about today, mercy is given, and by the fear of the Lord, man departs from evil. I was so afraid that I didn't want to go back, not because I was going to hell, because they said I was a young man, and if I didn't change, I was going to die. And so my fear of not wanting me to go back caused me to value the thing I had found. I'm not coming to worship on Sunday because I'm trying to get acceptance from God. I'm coming to worship on Sunday because I've already been accepted by God. And I value my salvation. I value my redemption. I value who Jesus is. And I value what Jesus has done in my life. Why, I'm not trying to save myself. I couldn't save myself, but Jesus saved me. You follow me? I value my relationships in this church. Why? Because my, my worldly friends, I have some, but they're shallow. I like them. They're fun, but they're shallow. They're there when, I, when everything's okay, they're there. But when things aren't okay, they're not there. I like money. It buys things. But I can't value it. Why? Because some days I got it and some days I ain't got it. But what do I value? I value the Word of God. I value the Spirit of God. I value the body of Christ. I value who God is and I value God's ways. Now, that word planted, like, like a tree planted, actually means transplanted. If you start valuing the things of God, you can be transplanted from the pathway of sinners to a river. My God. Why is that so powerful? A tree has a source you can't see. A tree is planted by a source you can't see. I'm not talking about a salvation that comes through willpower or works. I'm talking about planting yourself in God and connecting to a source called the Holy Ghost that says is in me like a river, a gushing river that's a source you can't see. I don't get my joy from things you can see. I get my joy down here from something you can't see. I don't get my strength from the world's way. I get my strength on the inside. I don't get my happiness by how much money I have in the bank or don't have I get my happiness on the inside. I'm like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's fruitful in every season. What does that mean? Every season a tree endures. See, I'm not trying, I think the church has painted a picture that you're going to be fruitful and all blessed all the time. That's not true. You're going to have seasons. Spring, summer, hot summers. Falls and wintertime where it looks like you ain't going to live again. I got trees around my house. Depending on what season it is, you look at them, you're like, that tree may not live again. But all of a sudden when a seat my God, when a season shifts and a season changes, something that I can't see, that that tree in a deep, dark season or a hot summer season has gone deeper with its roots and found something that I can't see with my eyes. It's a source of strength and growth and nurturing that this tree found by going deep. When that season shifts, those fruit comes back again and the leaves start growing again. Somebody shout, I'm like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water. Stable. This is Paul the Apostle who's in prison. I've been there in Rome. It's not like, even like our prisons. It's a dungeon. Dark. Way underground. Small. Chained. And writes, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, Rejoice. 
Let me tell you something. If you're in prison shackled to a wall, dark with nobody around you, and you can pin, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You're not getting your happiness from some outside source. You found something on the inside. Prosperous. A tree. I got trees in my front yard that I planted with my dad. There's supposed to be four but there's three. I ran over one of them with a lawnmower. Man, he was hot. <laughs> he was pissed over that. <laughs> but I got three. Lord, redeem my life. Redeem that land. Let me get that house back. These trees, these magnolia trees in my front yard are 44 years old. They've endured every season that's come. Every hot summer, every tough winter, they just keep. That's what the godly are like. I'm not saying God will fix you overnight. I'm just saying if you'll break out of the old cycle and break into a new cycle, you'll be like a tree. And all of a sudden, you'll just start to grow and grow and mature. And God will grow you into something stable, fruitful, enduring, and prosperous in everything that you do. Verse 4 says, the wicked are not like that. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. What does that mean? When harvest time, they would take the wheat and they would run over it with heavy materials to break the husk. And then they would take the wheat and the chaff and throw it up. And the weighty wheat would fall and the chaff would be blown away. What does that mean? It's not... When we say, when we understand wicked, we think of, you know, people other than ourselves. And, you know, your neighbor. <laughs> you know, we, when God talks about wicked, he's literally talking about uselessness. Light, not weighty. He's not talking about bad versus good. All throughout the Bible, wickedness speaks of useless weight. The, the righteous are talking about weighty people. Solid people. And the wicked are talking about. It's, it's Matthew 25. Where you didn't use what God gave you. And God says you wicked slothful servant. You weren't useful. Because how do you realize and know. I've lived that life. And I've got friends that are still living that life. And they're fun to be around. But honestly. They're shallow. They're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, everything looks good on the outside, but things aren't too right on the inside. Uh, they're fickled. Uh, they're moved easily. But I got other godly friends, you can't move them. They're solid. Strong. That's why it goes on to say the very next verse, it says something like this. Did you show the picture of the chaff? Can you back up and show the picture of the chaff? Look at that. That's the chaff and the wheat being separated. Just so you can see it. Next chap, next slide. The ungodly shall not stand in the seat of judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What does that mean? That means they won't be a blessing to the community and they won't bring any social change. Useless. Why are most of the wicked, most of the wicked ungodly folks useless? Because they're only concerned about themselves. That's why, unfortunately, the church, we've got a bad mentality. We think people outside the church are wicked and inside the church are righteous. But that's not true. There's righteous and wicked people in the church, and there's righteous and wicked people outside the church. Everybody in this room today is not righteous. Touch your neighbor and say, I thought something was up. <laughs> right? Everybody outside the church today is not wicked. There's some righteous people in our city that don't go to church. They're weighty. Now, I'm not, they may not understand their salvation yet, but that, doesn't, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? So the end of the story is something like this. 
The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Choice, and this is very simple. We'll call this simple Sunday. Because you only got two paths. Not difficult at all. Two paths. Jeremiah 17. Here we go. Next slide. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not even see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and, who, <clears throat> and whose hope is the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers. It spreads out its roots by the river and will not even fear when heat comes. His leaf will be green. He will not be anxious in the year of drought and will not cease from yielding fruit. Two clear choices. Trust in man. Trust in God. Next slide. Last slide. Here we are today. This is what this season's all about. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Day of Atonement. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. In God's calendar today, heaven is watching our gathering. Now, whether you believe that or not, does it, does it make it true or false? It's happening. It says the eyes of the Lord are looking throughout the whole earth just looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on their behalf. Heaven and earth is set against us today. In other words, whatever decisions or choices we make today, all of heaven will back that choice up. That's why there's a big difference today between what we're doing and a New Year's resolution. A New Year's resolution is nothing but willpower that we're going to get in shape and lose weight and it's March and we also wanted to get rid of procrastination and we said we'll do it and we'll do it in the springtime right we've all tried that this isn't that this is spiritual this is a this this go ahead look at Deuteronomy 30 I call heaven and earth as witness day against you that I've set before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life that you and your descendants may live so here we are. God brought us around another time of year to say, here we are. Reassess your life. Reevaluate it. It's, it's less about what we know as repentance as far as being so sorry and more just evaluating. It's more like a businessman or accountant would do. Just look at the books. If what you're currently doing is not working reassess that, make the necessary adjustments so that you can move into what is going to work for you. Definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing, expecting something to change. And so today, for all of us, we get to choose. We get to choose life. Now, we're all sinners Because we're all still sick. It's just some of us are a little more well than we used to be. Does that make sense? I'm, a, I'm still Kent Maddox, the leader of this church. I've been forgiven by Jesus. The atonement has been made. But I am still trying to recover. Right? Does that make sense? Because sin is still at work. So that's why I thank God for his intentionality that he gets to come around every time of year. I was out here walking around, walking around the church just the other day. My sin's not cocaine anymore. Addiction, perversion, immorality, but I still have issues. My issue is I'm not present in the moment because I'm so concerned about the future. There's two enemies of the cross. There was two thieves on each side of the cross, it says. You know what the two thieves of the cross are? The past and the future. One thief said, forgive my past. The other thief was saying, when you get to your future kingdom, don't forget about me. 
The enemy loves to steal our present moment trying to get us locked in the past or so concerned about the future that we're not happy right now where we are. I'm saying through the power of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God that lives in us, we can find a place of joy and blessedness and happiness right here, right now, even though our circumstances may not change till sometime down the road. That's the life God wants us to live. So I'm just, what I'm trying to say is everybody needs this message. Because God gives us this great opportunity. And the good news with God is we now cycle in another cycle of blessing. And next year, we'll come back to this place, and we're not as sick as we were last year. We're much better. And then we get 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 much better. And, and then we never get perfect, but we just keep until Jesus returns. Because one of these times, this time of year, we're going to be talking about getting better. And Jesus is going to show up, and we're just all going to be better. Right? That's the ultimate. Because we will see him as he is, and then we will be just like him. But until then, there is a river. And today, you can be transplanted from a parched, dry place to a very fruitful place in God. And it's just a choice. Because Jesus came to live the life and die on a cross not to satisfy the wrath of God but to demonstrate the love of God and to show you as how a human being planted filled with the Holy Spirit can live a fruitful prosperous life in God in the earth and made an atonement yes for our sins but not just for eternal things for right now right now things Back to the point, do I believe in hell? I've been there. I got to believe in it. Hell's when you're away from God. You have no ability to find your way out. That's hell. Hell's when you're a cocaine addict and you desperately want to quit, but you have no power to do it. And the only preachers you hear are preachers that are bringing condemnation and guilt on you, but they're not giving you any way out of where you're at. Till one day I heard the true gospel that God loved me just like I was, but He loved me too much to leave me like that. And He would come into my life and fill me with His Holy Spirit and put me on a brand new track and light my path and illuminate me and send me in another direction. This is that time of year that we get to choose. So hopefully today you were. Uh, provided a communion element when you came in today but if you're not just wave at us and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get you one if you missed out on that